Some people have dedicated their entire lives to a single topic. Anything from philosophy to sociology to the arts. Join us on Thinking Aloud as we condense the expertise of lifelong learners to a simple 30-minute dip into their perspective. You've never seen a thought pool this deep. Dive in with host Marcus Smith on Thinking Aloud, Wednesdays at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 11 Mountain, here on Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Talk about good. Traveling with Eric Dowdle is obviously about traveling, but it's also about painting, food, trivia, culture, friends, and history. So you could say it's pretty weird. Are people competing to be weird? Because I think we could probably give them a run. Is there? Can we put that on our thing? The you weirdest show, or the... the weirdest show on BYU Radio. Uh, I think we I would think be we right up there. One. Catch traveling with Eric Dowdle weekdays at 9 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Coming up on the Matt Townsend Show, we're all getting old, and there's nothing, absolutely nothing, we can do to stop it. But that doesn't mean we can't age with grace. So stay tuned and listen in for today. We're going to be talking about aging and how to do it right. We're going to bring up some memories from the past. All that and more coming right up after the news with Sam McCall. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. A unanimous decision from the Supreme Court today banned patents on naturally occurring, occurring human genes. However, synthesized genetic material can be patented, making the case a partial win for both patients and the biotech industry. Tragedy struck a Louisiana chemical plant today. An explosion and fire have killed at least one person and sent another 73 to the hospital. Emergency crews have ordered all within two miles of the plant to remain indoors. The Black Forest fire in Colorado continues to rage today as crews step up efforts to battle the flames. Nearly 38,000 people have been forced to evacuate as over 15,000 acres have been burned. A large, severe weather pattern is headed for the mid-Atlantic region, bringing with it the possibility of strong straight-line winds, large hail and flooding. The National Weather Service says tornadoes are also a possibility. New population estimates from the Census Bureau show fewer white babies were born last year than Caucasian people died, marking the first time since data began to be recorded this decline has occurred. In world news, a new report on Syria from the United Nations shows over 93,000 people have lost their lives since the civil war broke out. The rate of death has increased as the conflict intensifies. Hours after Turkey's prime minister said his patience has run out with two weeks of anti-government protests, he announced meetings with leaders of the protests to help defuse the anger. Former South African President Nelson Mandela's health is improving, but his doctors say he is still in serious condition. This is Mandela's fourth hospitalization since December. That's the news to the top of the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kim Power Stilson filling in for Matt Townsend while he's away on vacation. Actually, this is our last, um, you know, Matt fill-in day for me. And we're talking about aging. How lucky is that? Something I try to avoid talking about. We're talking about it today on the Matt Townsend Show. But we're going to bring up some old technologies, some things that you may not remember. And uh, we'll have that at the end of the show. So you'll want to stay tuned during the entire time. All right. Well, welcome to the Matt Townsend team. We have Aaron, Ben, Bryce, and Merritt. It's the last day to be with you guys. It's so fun. You guys are amazing on the radio. We try. 
<laughs> even though you're young. So I guess this is like the setup. I'm younger than others. Yeah. <laughs> yes, thank you for saying it that way. This is like the setup. This is the trap and the rule number three that Bryce has about I'm trapped. Here's a show about aging with everyone who's a lot younger than I am. How does that feel? Awesome. <laughs> Well, we were just talking before the show that uh, Merritt's a little bit younger than me and Bryce, and we were born before the Berlin Wall came down. She was born afterwards, so that's a little what? strange. Yeah, that is yeah. strange. That's strange, right? That's like Russia has been a democratic country in her entire life. Well, pseudo democratic country. I don't want to get into geopolitics, but how does that feel? I mean, you don't know either way if it feels any differently. Does but I have no clue how yeah. it would feel. I I've, I've been like on the cusp of sort of the Cold War. And so I've kind of noticed that Russia and the communists, they kind of like occupy, for for those just a little, like with my sister who's older than me, um, it sort of occupies sort of this sort of villain, but not really. There's a little like mystique to Russia and the communists and like what exactly they're doing. But like that totally lost on me. Like Russia's just another place, like a lot of other places. But it's not. It doesn't have that sort of. That. It's not vilified like. It yeah. Was. yeah, yeah. I definitely see like that with my parents who lived during the Cold War. Um, and you see that maybe with generation gaps in general, right? Um, but for my parents who you know grew up and lived during the Cold War, like they're very much more aware of kind of that era than I am. Even though uh, I was born during that sort of the tail end of the Reagan administration, um, they're definitely much more aware of like. Russia and the Soviet Union and the communists and Vietnam and all those things. And I am who's born sort of the tail end of that era. Well, and every era has its like its colloquialisms, its slang, its terms. So a lot of those terms, like especially from the the war, uh, the Korean War, etc., people had terms that you didn't hear, hadn't heard before that were used. Yeah, I actually went and looked up the way uh, – slang terms sort of throughout the last throughout the 20th century in America and it's actually interesting I've got them divided up by decades and this is from actually two lists one from howstuffworks.com and one from grammar.yourdictionary.com sort of combine the list together but it's kind of interesting you see how culture is influence the slang words we use or I should say historical events um, for example uh, in the 30s the word gig came into being uh, to refer to a job but it was during sort of the Depression times that people say, I need a gig, a job. And that is, uh, I think, something that has stayed with us throughout time. Um, or in the 40s, this is when we talked about before the show that we thought was interesting, the word blockbuster uh, came into sort of like colloquial use. And it actually originally originated with bombs during World War II because they would be called blockbusters because they would take out an entire block, a big bomb. Seems like the same in the same vein as like bunker buster. Right, yeah. right. A blockbuster. And so that term, the American press started to use that to mean just anything that had a wide-reaching impact. They would say, oh, it's a blockbuster. And then that became uh, applied to Broadway shows, and then it became applied to sort of all the other things uh, throughout time. You know, I think that – I didn't know that. <clears throat> and my father was raised during World, World War II. He was very little, but he nevertheless lived through that. And um, that, I didn't, you know, we go to Blockbuster Video all the time, but I would almost think that would be offensive. I mean, where's the point where things like that don't upset you? I mean, now it's a movie and you want to go to that, right? right? You say, oh, it's a Blockbuster film. Where if it's a Blockbuster bomb, you'd be like staying down in the shelter. Yeah, the the term Blockbuster film really came into, to mean what we mean now with the film, um, with Jaws. Because Jaws was so huge that everyone said, oh, it's a blockbuster. And then 
that almost became its own genre, right? A blockbuster. So so it's just one person who maybe was alive during World War II, caught the name, and then happened to put it into his writing, and he created a trend. Like, if it's anything like some of the writing that we do, it's just, I have been, I've already used all my adjectives. So I'm going to go look into a thesaurus. I'm going to find this other word. That's probably all he did. He was just... Let's find something. Okay, my, blockbuster. Or my granny used to say it. Do you know what I mean? A lot of those terms are passed down. Like, you know, okay, you've all heard about that. Yeah. So, I oh, mean, yeah. those terms are passed down because people, their mom's mom said them. Okay is an interesting one because that came into use, and now that's actually said all over the world. Even in other languages, um, when I was in Mexico, they would say okay all the time. Okay. But it's the exact same thing. Uh, but that, that's even cross, cross-cultural. Right. That and term. it started with a political campaign, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. So whether or not you were for that candidate, and you probably have that on your list, what his name is, but people kept using it, and then they started doing the sign, you know, the OK sign. I, I lived in Japan for a couple of years, and it was so fun because I would be on these trains or riding by on my moped, and everyone who realized I was a gaijin or a foreigner would, like, give me that sign. So it's one way they could communicate the OK sign. And going through uh, a couple more, like, in the 50s during the McCarthy Red Scare era, um, Big Brother, obviously from Orwell, but came into use. It's back um, in sort again. Of, yeah, and it's back in again. Uh, hipster came into use, and that's one other one that's kind of back again. I think people say that a it lot, is. but hipster was a word that came around in the 50s. Is Groovy um, coming back then? I hope not. Could, could Bryce, uh, could you bring it back? Uh, I am all for bringing back the word groovy. If it's okay then with you, Ben, we're going to bring it back. <laughs> no, I'm we're gonna be the not ones. okay with that. They're going to be like, yeah, they heard it on the radio show, the Matt Townsend show on BYU Radio. We started groovy it. Groovy is back. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, okay. Groovy is this back. This is a groovy show. <laughs> um, in the 60s, hippie, obviously, a hippie culture. The man to mean like uh, a person of authority, a group in power. And it was a negative thing. The man right. was- Right. Bread to mean money. <gasps> Which is when I think that still gets you hear that actually fairly common. I How think. did that start? I, I actually don't know the origin of that one, is but that I just know that 70s? came from part that of the, six, that's in the, the 60s. 60s. Okay. Um, in the 70s, uh, you get into sort of disco culture, get down, boogie, mind blowing, um, bogus, gross, no brainer. All those are sort of terms that came into being in the 70s. And then with the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, you really see the emergence of hip hop culture, urban culture, kind of dominate slang, uh, chillin', crib. Um, dis, homeboy, my bad, uh, sweet to mean cool, holla, tat for tattoo. So you see kind of whatever's going on in popular culture influences our slang. Whatever, is, whatever kind of historical events are going on, whatever's dominating pop culture at the moment tends to be reflected in the words that we use. Have you ever seen an, an Andy Rooney movie? Uh, Is it Mickey Rooney? Maybe it's Mickey Rooney. You're thinking Mickey Rooney. Yeah, sorry. Mickey Rooney. I've seen the old uh, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream with Mickey Rooney where he plays Puck. Yes, yes. So Mickey Rooney was, I I think it was the 30s. He was really popular in the 30s and 40s, and Judy Garland was his Mm co-host. And so if you ever watch those movies, they use all those slang terms, and those movies were the movies that, you know, set that precedent out for that generation. You know, like uh, even some of the terms you hear now that you think are hip hop terms or mm-hmm. what, you know, you said the new mm-hmm. pop culture terms mm-hmm. come from. I'm just saying those words we think are new in the 80s maybe came back from. From something earlier. Yeah. Well, like, and they the, revived. The word cool. You know, we think of it as, oh, that I don't even know if you can define it. You just say, oh, that's cool. Um, 
But that's actually been you come back several times to mean different things throughout history. It meant something different in the 50s and what it meant in the 70s. But it's always been a slang word that keeps getting recycled over and over again, yeah. Yeah. sort of evolving. James Dean was cool, but I think they meant something different. Right, right. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I just want to know if Foxy's going to come back, too, because I kind of like that term. That, just like groovy, totally endorse bringing that word back. Okay, so, totally. all right, so another, tr- oh my goodness, this is an earth-shattering show on aging. We're bringing back Foxy. What about radical? <gasps> yeah. Do we say that anymore? Did we ever? Uh, well, maybe before you were born, we did. I just watched Tron, the new one, and they say radical, and I thought of that. So. Okay, Aaron's bringing back radical. Because probably because that was used in the original Tron, I'm guessing, in the... Early yeah. 80s, right? Uh-huh. That, yeah, that's an 80s. Uh, uh, Wayne's World, that's an 80s oh, yeah. Wayne's World yeah. show. Now, that show in my high school, that was a high school show that changed everybody's way. That, we watched that show, and the next day I couldn't understand what anybody was saying. Oh, yeah, well, that's, that's interesting, too. Comedies that come on, uh, comedy, like whatever comedy is popular at the time. Like in my high school, I think towards my senior year of high school is when Napoleon Dynamite, Dynamite came out, and everyone kind of killed John that movie. Eater. Yeah, worked it into... Uh, into our slang and sort of colloquial things we said. And isn't it interesting that he's not exactly, like, I- iconic? The character he played wasn't, you know, the character that you think everyone would want to be. He's and a yet... Han Solo or something. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's well said. <clears throat> We're having our own little dialogue here. We get it, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're listening and you want to throw in some old terms or, you know, slang words that you think that we've forgotten here in the show, you can call 855-CHAT-BYU, Right. And that's 855-242-8298. Okay, so what about, are we going to talk about tech or does that come later in the show? Well, the interesting thing is that tech influences our terms as well. Like, for example, when in the start of film, when they first started using film, they would have to, in order to edit it, they would take the actual film reels, they would pull them out and then have to actually cut them and then sew them back together. In like order with to a razor, it. they would yeah, like, literally have to, have to cut literally them. cut them, and then and fit them on those prong things. Yeah, and then cut them back together. And then there was a machine called a moviola that would sew them back together for you. And it was like this huge deal because it would sew it. But now we do that all digitally, but we still call it a cut, even though we're not technically cutting it anymore. We're just pulling some of the data out. Well, like to put to deal with the audio files that we put together we still split and we still um what's another cut one? i mean yeah, we still we say still, cut we still cut um we mix down which we're not really like it's <laughs> yeah. no no yeah, we're yeah, not yeah. we're just we're just really compiling when we files. say when we say mix down the computer mixes it for us we yeah. don't actually you know yeah mix down right do you do you remember the the djs right they would with the records, the vinyl. I mean, do people still use those terms as well? I think so. People still use uh, like DJs for, for, I don't know, parties and clubs and stuff like that, I think, for music. But they bring a digital, <laughs> digitized soundtrack that's already prepared rather than flipping on the vinyl. And Well, it's like you say, oh, there's a new record coming out, which is really just a file that we download that has series of ones and zeros. But we still say record to mean, you know, an album or we say the word album even. I mean, all those words have nothing to do with actually what we're using. They're just holdovers from an earlier paradigm. So, and you say, well, we say um, uh, movie, and that's really old. The movie came with, um, they used to show slides in theaters. People would see the slides, but the photos were such a big deal. When they started moving, I looked this up last night, they were, they call it, it's the movie. 
Wasn't it the movies and the talkies? <laughs> it was the picture show, then the movies, and then the talkies, and then I guess movies hung on. I mean, it wasn't there. I don't know. But, I mean, I thought that was funny that people would go to the picture show and they actually literally just sat through a slideshow. And we're going to talk about that a little later, I think, yeah. in the show. Films, so. too. I mean, the word film is because we would use celluloid, an actual thing called film, uh, that now we just, I mean, most things are shot digitally. And I dial, I always say dial. Now, do you do you guys remember dialing? We used to dial a phone. Yeah, I remember that, you know, the ones that, the, what was it, rotary? rotary? The one that, yes. would, that would turn, you know, and make that noise. And so I always say, I'm going to dial them. I'm going to dial them. But, you know, you don't dial ever. <laughs> no, mostly I just you say phone, them. call mom or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Right? To, like, call guests and stuff, we have an actual, like, number pad on the boards that we call people with. I get annoyed at it every time because <laughs> it does it does archaic things like I have to dial it within a certain window of time or it kicks out the number or, you know, I have to press one before I dial. Whereas with our phones, they'll give us a number pad, but it's you can push it whenever. You can backspace and you can enter in the number and it's really easy and it's really user-friendly. These are like pressure, timed trials i don't know i can't handle it like fort knox kind of the interesting thing is like it, it this is obviously we've moved ahead with the technology that's been released since we've lived our lives but like my grandparents they've kind of seemed to like hit this point where they no longer move ahead and it's really funny like my grandmother has an iphone which is just <laughs> amusing all of the time and i show her some really neat things on there that you know like a calendar and you know cool stuff like that but she's kind of hit this point where she still thinks of it as a phone she doesn't really think of it beyond that so it's like she's hit her point her point of staying up to date with technology and i just wonder like do we all reach that point someday it seems like people do with clothes a lot <laughs> and hairstyles <laughs> hairstyles yeah well, I'm, people I'm, who are perpetually stuck in the 80s always amuse me but like i'm looking at my phone right now and you see the phone you know the icon on my touchscreen phone to open the actual telephone application is a picture of like a handset phone, <laughs> you know, which actually has no correlation to the thing I'm holding in my hand, None. which is basically just yeah. a black, you know, brick with a screen on the front. <laughs> and uh, so the, the email icon is like an actual uh, envelope. I mean, again, which, it has no. And who ever uses envelopes or pencils? Well, yeah, maybe. No one. No, I mean, I don't even know when the last time I bought envelopes was. I don't even know the last time I sent a letter was. So I have to tell you, my son, we were watching an old show and he picked he saw the person on the show pick up the receiver of the telephone. And he's like, Mom, how did they know which part to put to where? Like he didn't know, <laughs> you know, like he thought it was. a Well, uh, well they're kind of, kind of identical. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah there's so not a, that's actually not an unrealistic. I mean, that's a good question. And, and I thought, yeah, there's no, there were no arrows. You just, I mean, because the then I told him that the old days you put your phone up to the hearing piece or mouthpiece and then you brought this little piece up to your ear and he was just like, well, that sounds easier. Why would they go to that? <laughs> so, um, you know, maybe some of the technology advances or stages don't always make the most perfect sense either. So, all right. So we are going to be talking about those kind of things and aging and more on the Matt Townsend show today. We also have a great guest who's going to talk to us, uh, Susan Cross. Kraus Whitborn, who's going to talk to us about aging. We'll be right back with more of the Matt Townsend Show after this. So, you think you're pretty good at trick shots and billiards? We might have you beat on a cosmic scale. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. 
June of 2012 is the last chance this century to observe Venus passing in front of our Sun. The transit of Venus is what allowed early astronomers to measure the distances between our planets and to discover Venus had an atmosphere. NASA plans to use the Hubble Space Telescope to watch the transit, but without pointing it anywhere near Venus or the Sun. That much sunlight would fry the delicate sensors of the Hubble. That's where our trick shot comes in. Hubble will observe and try to detect the changes in light colors reflected off a spot on Earth's moon during the transit. As the sun's light filters through Venus's atmosphere, Hubble can read that tiny color change and tell us things about Venus's atmosphere. The experiment is practice for finding planets around other stars light years away. Slight flickers in other stars are caused by alien planets transiting across them, just like Venus. That means light from distant stars could hold clues to what kind of atmospheres those far-off worlds might have and if they could support life. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Did you leave BYU without a degree? We'd had a few years where, where farming had been very difficult. My wife and I had decided that you know we were at an end with our farming career. That decision to sell the farm was really a turning point in my life. In church, there was a poster from the Bachelor of General Studies program, and we decided to enroll. I see that it has blessed me in the life of our family. Go online to bgs.byu.edu to see if you qualify to finish at home what you started at BYU, Bachelor of General Studies. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kim Power Stilson, filling in for Matt Townsend. I usually do the talk-worthy radio show, but I think I'm going to come do this one. It's more fun. All right. We are talking about aging, except for the topic today. But it's interesting. Um, we now have Bryce, who is going to share some thoughts about aging that he would just love to uh, broadcast with us here on the Matt Townsend Show today. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is The Bryce is Right. A little while ago, I was perusing the internet when a series of photos grabbed my curiosity. It was of four sisters taking a picture of themselves every year. I'm not sure what age they started. They must have been teenagers. It was cool to see their clothes and hairstyles change through the fads of the 60s. But at some point in what I can only assume was her 20s, sister number two suddenly aged 15 years. Two pictures or two years later, the other sisters followed suit. Which makes sense since you're working with a very similar gene set and what I'll assume to be a similar childhood environment. But even even still, what happened? Things are going fine, then they skipped their 30s, they only seemed to be in their 40s for a little bit, then suddenly they looked like grandmas. And then I got to the picture where there was only three people and immediately thought, abandon ship, abandon ship, because things were only going to get worse from there. They aged so fast, but I couldn't figure it out. There were some clues in there, like a sudden change to a short haircut, so I knew that's when one of them became a mom. But even still, they seemed like they were in the accelerated program to looking just like grandma. Now let's contrast this with another series of photos I found a few weeks later where four dudes took pictures of themselves in the same pose over the course of 40 years. The scientist in me knew this was a good comparison to work with. This time we had four dissimilar gene sets, different childhood environments, but the same arrangement and pose. We didn't have things like smiles adding wrinkles to change the data. So when these guys started out, no one was particularly good looking. Everyone was normal if not a little goofy looking as a 17 year old dude. But year after year I noticed a trend. That there wasn't a trend. They looked just about the same from year to year. If you jump from decade to decade, you could see a difference, but they seemed to only get better looking. None of them stayed in good shape, they clearly didn't take care of their skin, 
They dressed well, but in their 40s it became obvious that they gave up on any sense of fashion. They just let their hair go gray or start receding, or both. Even the guy in the group who looked the goofiest in the beginning seemed to magically grow into his face at some point in his 50s, and the results were impressive. Yeah, the double standard was emerging. Everyone gets older and everything degrades, that's entropy, and it's unavoidable. Women obey this law like good citizens of the universe, yet males are defiant. Thankfully, the universe has not yet decided to correct this imbalance. The jury is still out on the women of the world, but with guys it gets even stranger. It's hard to figure out who is going to be the good-looking one. With girls you can kind of tell. Ugly ducklings happen, but not nearly as frequent as it happens with guys. George Clooney is a classic example. He was a nerdy-looking kid. And now? Well, that I'll summarize with something Tina Fey said at the 2013 Golden Globe Awards. This next presenter is so good-looking, he makes young George Clooney look like garbage. Please welcome middle-aged George Clooney. And everyone laughed, because we all knew it was true. Another example you may not have thought of? Robert Downey Jr. He was never really bad-looking. In fact, he looks kind of the same from 5 to 35. He'll turn 50 in two years, and frankly, he's never looked better. Which leads me to conclude, if wine gets better with age, then apparently so do guys. And that's good news for me, at least. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. You know, I'm at a disadvantage um, now because you're right. That's so true. George it, Clooney. It's weird. I. It seems like women have their heyday, and then once... They're done. Seems like guys take over, um, but it doesn't make sense. We're really not that. I mean, we're different, but like when you really break it down, we're really not that different. Do you think it's because men shave? Uh, actually, a friend of mine pointed that out. That could be the case because uh, because guys are um, they're constantly exfoliating their face. But even still, I don't. With how many cuts and slices we make on our face, that probably negates any good that that does. Well, but they look. I mean, we talked about. I mean, Sean Connery is another one. He, I mean, he looked good, then he started to age, but then he still looked good. Yeah, he still he does not look as old as he is. Yeah, like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Sean Connery looks way better than you know James Bond. Sean Connery. We actually even saw him in the Forty Two movie. Did you see um, Harrison Ford? Oh yeah, yeah. Harrison Ford. Right, and right. he he played an he did an excellent job. He played an almost unrecognizable role. I mean, you didn't you didn't think right. Harrison Ford at all. Hardly. But he still, I mean, he wasn't particularly attractive, but he still looked a lot better than, you know. Than most other 75-year-olds? In uh, the last Indiana Jones uh, movie they did, like, whatever, five or six years ago. I've blocked it from my memories because it was so traumatic. (laughs) But he actually wore his, all his, uh, his costume for that film was actually all the same size and all the same measurements as the one they had done 20 or 25 years before, the, the one with Sean Connery. Like, his, his, he actually did not change at all in terms of his body. He was the exact same figure as he was in the, in the last one, 20, 25 years separated. Wow. That's yeah. very lucky. Yeah. How, how many expensive. people can say that? Well, I mean, but if you have those resources to it's help true. you out. Personal trainer. Yeah. True. Well, it's like uh, Margaret Thatcher, who was the prime minister of England. She she said that she, she her doctors knew before she did that she had a symptom because they took such good care of her that anything came up, they took care of it. Whereas we, oh, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to, oh, but I better go in. I'm going to let this just sit around for a year and then I'll go to a doctor and fix it. Lo and behold, it's a real problem by that time. I mean, so you, so that your rant was about appearances, right? But I mean, how about, you know, physically? Is same, is it same, do you think? I mean, I don't know. You looked at their picture, so. I looked they? at the picture. Um, physically, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, so, I mean face, but I mean, did you see a big change, like hunched shoulders or? Oh, the guys got fat really fast. That's. There that's, is some justice. Yay. <laughs> we get old faster, but you guys get fat know, faster. Right? Okay, it seemed like I'll the guys it. were, the guys like started when they were 17. It seems like for like for about 10 years, they, they did all, they all did really, really well. And then something happened. All of a sudden, boom, all four of them were fat. And they kind of like got bigger, got smaller, got bigger, got smaller over the years. And then they just kind of started getting old and. That that the inflation and deflation decreased as we went on. Well, here's the good news about your Bryce rant. You will be there someday, too. Someday. Someday I will not be as goofy looking. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm ready for it. Well, we're going to talk next um, after this segment about aging. And we've got actually Dr. Susan Krauss, uh, Whitborn, coming on. And she's going to talk about the psychology and how we can kind of age a little more gracefully, maybe a little less goofy. I, if we can hope. We can dream. (laughs) All right. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kim Power Stilson filling in. While Matt's out of town, we'll be right back with more. Picture yourself in a room filled with some of the world's most informed and devoted individuals, scholars, religious experts, and political authorities. If they were all presenting solutions to uplift and preserve enduring bedrock values, you'd want to be there, right? Well, you can find such a room here on BYU Radio with the Wheatley Forum. Find your seat and join the conversation Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Having knowledge about medical advice is never a bad thing. It'll be a -a one-of-a-kind opportunity for you to achieve mega health. Ron Hager joins us every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern to share insider info and commentary from the world of health and wellness. It's common sense, it's prudence, it's doing things that are moderate, that are balanced, that have variety, not just with the things you eat, but the way you exercise and other things that you might be doing. Tuesdays on The Morning Show, only on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Human genes cannot be patented. According to a unanimous Supreme Court ruling today, the decision will help keep important biotechnology research moving forward, according to some doctors and geneticists. An explosion at a Louisiana chemical plant killed at least one person today and sent 73 more to the hospital. Officials concerned about dangerous fumes have ordered everyone within two miles of the blast to remain indoors. 360 homes have been raised as a Colorado wildfire continues to spread. Winds fueled the blaze yesterday, expanding it in several directions and forcing a town of nearly 38,000 to evacuate. The mid-Atlantic region is bracing for a strong weather pattern, which the National Weather Service is warning could bring flooding, large hail and high winds. Tornadoes are also a concern. New population estimates from the Census Bureau show fewer white babies were born last year than white people died, marking the first time since data began to be recorded this decline has occurred. In world news, a new report on Syria from the United Nations shows over 93,000 people have died since the civil war broke out. The rate of death has increased as the conflict intensifies. Hours after Turkey's prime minister said his patience has run out with two weeks of anti-government protests, he announced meetings with leaders of the protesters to help defuse the anger. And former South African President Nelson Mandela's health is improving, but his doctors say he is still in serious condition. This is Mandela's fourth hospitalization since December. That's the news to half past the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall.
Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. I'm host Kim Power Stilson and filling in for Matt while he's on vacation. Today with us, we're talking about aging. And with us, we have Dr. Susan Krauss-Whitborn. And she's a PhD. She's currently professor of psychology at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. She's the author, author of over 160 articles and book chapters in 16 books. Her most recent work is The Search for Fulfillment. She writes for Huffington Post, which uh, I'm a big fan of. She's a Post 50 blogger, and she's a frequent commentator on local, national, and international media outlets, including Dateline. You've probably seen her in Money Magazine, USA Today, and Time.com. She also received uh, the 2011 presidential citation for American Psychological Association. So she's well respected by her peers and you can read about her all online and she has this amazing advice. Um, her hobbies, which I think is fun to get to know a guest and, and Dr., uh, Dr. Well, we're going to call you Susan, you said. Susan, I love that you have your hobbies here and I love that you knit. Oh, I do. I'm an avid knitter. It keeps me uh, keeps me calm most of the time. <laughs> well, and you know, we're talking about aging today, and I used to always associate knitting or crocheting with my grandma. You know, that's something that they did. But knitting, I see men doing it. I see you know, 19 year old girls doing it. You know, um, at, yep. around college, it's a it's kind of come back. It has definitely, especially with the big needles and the scarves. Everybody's wearing scarves, so they're all constructing them on their own, and um, it's really a healthy hobby most of the time. <laughs> now, what what's the last thing you made? Oh, I am working on an infuriating little tiny, tiny, tiny uh, kind of sweater that is probably going to take me a while. The winter, by the time I get to wear it, uh, which is good because it's a winter sweater. But I did finish a baby blanket for my upcoming granddaughter. So that was the last thing I completed. And I'm going to very excited to give it to her when she arrives in September. Oh, you have you have one on the way. One on the way, and one a little boy, also a grandson. He already got his blanket, so oh. so <laughs> it's you, uh, fun. Do you plan on a lot of grandkids, so you'll be doing a lot of knitting? I don't know, but um, it's funny that you mentioned it about grandmothers and knitting because, well, now I am a grandmother and I'm knitting, but I've knitted my whole life, and I actually learned from my grandmother. But like many of what we inherit from our families, it kind of skipped a generation, so neither of my daughters have picked up on that particular hobby slash vice. (laughs) (laughs) Is it uh, time-consuming? I I watched um, an uh, interview recently where they talked about how uh, one of these moms had said that she used to knit and now she did Sudoku. Oh. So she was on to a new hobby. I thought that was funny. (laughs) That seemed like you're creating something versus, you know, it just seemed like an odd switch to me, but solving things instead of creating. Exactly. Yeah. Well, tell us about aging and debunking the myths and the stereotypes of aging. Okay, well, we just talked about grandmothers and knitting, so I think we could check that one done. <laughs> and but but at a larger level, I mean, there there are so many myths and stereotypes, and people are a lot more sensitive now than they used to be. I think to making fun of older adults, but it's still done so commonly and and almost automatically uh, that we associate aging with loss of abilities, loss of memory, uh, loss of 
physical abilities, interest in other people, um, kind of going off on your in a shelf and uh, just wanting to be by yourself. And we now know that those stereotypes, there's, there never really was a basis in reality for them, uh, like with most stereotypes, but we have a lot more data to show why they were incorrect. Well, and that makes sense. I remember my grandfather uh, lamenting that he was 65, and just because he was turning 65, he didn't think he should have to retire when he was very strong, healthy back, had, you know, worked as a farmer. And he said, I don't know why I turned 65, and now everyone says I'm an old man. Yep, it beca- and it becomes self-perpetuating, um, and and self and and uh, reinforcing. So, like a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you think that you're going to be old because of a certain age, you you even start to feel that way, and you might even very subtly start to change, um, just because of that recognition. Uh, Satchel Page said, "How old would you be if you didn't know how old you was?" And and it certainly fits the case of your grandfather and many, many other older adults. And I, I feel like that's changing. And, and have you have you seen that? Have you identified that that is happening? That instead of, you know, with the baby boomer, boomer generation, perhaps, that people are not taking that. They're not just accepting it, rather like my grandfather did. I think that's true. I think especially people who are have had more education and, and are in better health, and, and those two are definitely related, people with more education are in better health. But I think as a society, we are a lot more sensitive to what we should or should not be doing that to our health that can help slow down the aging process. There's so many stories everywhere about amazing people. There was a 100-year-old woman who, um, I think she went bungee jumping. I saw that on the news the other night. And, and every single one of these episodes is just really driving home this idea that as you get older, you don't have to be limited in your abilities. But, yeah, I mean, I think that with the baby boomers, there was a lot of changes that came about with this generation. And, you know, 50s and new 30 and 30s and new, I don't know, 10. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where that goes. Um, But people are really paying a lot more attention to their health and to getting exercise, mental and physical. So as these, this generation, this uh, generation coming into their, you know, what used to be the retirement age, they're becoming, like you said, more active. So do you think that will change the culture following behind it? I think it will. Um, I mean, there's always going to be the older generation gets made fun of by the younger generation. You know, we know how that goes. Um, um, And that's one of the great things about being a grandparent. Now you've got the uh, grandchildren making fun of their parents. (laughs) A little payback time. (laughs) But uh, I do think that that things are shifting, and and each, each new trendsetter is really changing people's minds a little bit. Uh, One of the things I write about, I have a blog for Huffington Post, as you mentioned, um, very kindly mentioned, but I also have one in Psychology Today, and I spend a lot of time on there going through studies that talk about different kinds of exercise and really practical tips that people can use. So it isn't just the research, it's also what you can do to take this advice. Um, There was one about playing video games, which is something I'm actually doing research on and showing how that can keep your mind sharp. And then there's lots about exercise and exercise in the brain and, and just and personality as well and, and just ways that you can have a more positive mindset. 
Okay, I'm going to roll you back to playing video games. So uh, explain. <laughs> I, 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 this is exciting. I mean, we're not talking um, Pac-Man. We're, are we talking full-fledged, you know, interactive 3D video games that our kids play? Ah, well, that's a very good question because some researchers think those are the only kind of games that can improve attention, improve attention, Kim. And and a lot of those studies have been done on adolescents. And and it is surprising that they actually these games actually help teenagers focus better. Um, now they and their relation to violence has also been complained about, but but there's very little data to support that. But with older adults, what they tried to do was take those same action-oriented first-person shooter games and give them to older adults to take home and practice, and then they would measure their abilities and see if they improved. The trouble was the older adults didn't want to play those games. So so it wasn't the Nintendo set would just be sitting there, and they'd come back to the lab the following week and say, well, I didn't really feel like playing that. So uh, I, I kind of got one of my blogs, actually, was about video games and, and cognitive abilities in older adults. So I, I did, did a little investigating, and I wrote up a little story about it. And then I was approached by PopCap, who makes Bejeweled, and they helped me do a survey to find out who's playing video games games, who are, who's playing the kind of casual video games, the fun, pretty ones with little little gems that explode. And we found tons and tons of older adults play these games, like thousands of them. Um, and just in my survey, we found a huge preponderance of retired people playing these games. And they would say, I feel sharper. Um, and, and we analyzed the data, and, and it, it comes out, yeah, they, they're saying that uh, they see patterns better, faster, they feel more confident. So all of this is really good, and, and that's what they say. And we're also trying to measure these changes in the lab. So you don't have to feel guilty about your guilty pleasure. It actually can be extremely beneficial to your cognitive abilities and your social um, social relationships too. I, I was giving a talk about this last week and uh, to some caregivers and, and people who work in nursing homes and they said, you know, all my clients tell me this is how they connect with their grandchildren with, and, and with complete strangers. They have these huge groups playing these games. So it's all good. Uh, you don't have to feel bad about it and um, you can actually really benefit a tremendous amount. Now, Susan, I have to ask this question. It's it's back a bit, but you talked about how the uh, adults, the senior adults, were not interested. And I'm wondering if this video game interaction is uh, an engagement based on interests rather than, so in other words, it's fueled by their interests so that they're more engaged, which makes them more, of course, more cognitively you know, able to associate. Or do you think it really is the actual you know, hand-eye coordination with the games or a combination well, maybe? Yeah, again, that's a really excellent question, Kim. I think with the first-person shooter games, as much as people complain about them, because of what they require, the integration of a lot of different inputs, they probably do a better job on on that kind of task switching, what they call executive function, where you're having to make decisions quickly. But with the tile, the other games, the tile match games where you've got little patterns that you have to make, it does, it still improves reaction time. I mean, people get better on those games the more they play them, and we're trying to show that they improve on a measure of driving uh, perception as well. I mean, that's going to be the real proof in the pudding is do you get transferred to real-life tasks? 
so. That is a great question. Probably the more engaging games kind of are maybe have less benefits, but if you play them more, then I think you'll see more cumulative benefits over time. You know, and I for those listening, right, because our demographic of listeners would probably really like to hear this. I know that my we bought a Wii, and there were games that I played on the Wii that I was surprised that I was not as agile as I, you know, I'm not in retirement yeah. age, right? And I was surprised I wasn't right. as agile. But as I played them, I became more, more so, right? Mm-hmm. But it was my yeah. competitiveness. Like, you know, no one was around, no one was playing with me, but I was just, I just wanted to make my times or my <laughs> scores better. And is, does that make a difference? Competition, competitiveness? Well, we did ask people how much they liked competition, and this was just, uh, again, people telling us what they liked. And, oh, yeah, they definitely liked the competitive aspect of it, um, even competing against strangers. Um, But everybody has, I think, a different kind of motivation. Um, Some people like the voice. This particular game, Bejeweled, it tells you you're awesome and you're terrific, and it just keeps saying really nice things about you. And one of our participants said, I just really like that he tells me all these nice things about myself. And, of course, it's just the... For, you know, it's just the game generating the uh, positive feedback. But but it just, we found really five or six main kinds of motivation. Competitiveness was one of them. Um, cognitive abilities was another. And then this other one um, just uh, being reinforced. Well, you know, I actually, I used to say that the, my Wii trainer was the only person who loved me. So yeah, there, there was uh, there was a while there. <laughs> All right. So, Susan, we are talking to Susan Krauss-Whitborn, and she is a Ph.D. and a professor of psychology at the University of Massachusetts Amherst and an author and a blogger. You can find her on Huffington Post and Psychology Today. We're going to have her come back with us. We'll be right back with more of The Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio after this. Building a smart city that senses and responds to traffic, weather, and more. It's already happening. We'll tell you where. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. Your smartphone helps you dodge traffic jams, dress for the weather, arrange dinner reservations, and do other things. What if a city could have the same kind of connectivity and communication, a digital nervous system of its own? It can. A British firm is pioneering the creation of so-called smart cities by developing what they call the Urban OS. Urban OS is designed to work like a PC's operating system, only applied to a city's grid of sensors and services, connecting individual buildings and all their smart appliances into a city-wide web that reacts to real-time environmental changes. The smart city will see changing weather or an emergency like a fire and automatically reroute traffic, utilities, police, and fire schedules, even adjust your home's air conditioning, all to make life easier and more efficient. With the perspective of the city as a living organism, the Urban OS is already being tested in a section of London for the Olympics, and a more fully integrated version is going up in a model city development in Portugal. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Add BYU Radio's toll-free number to your phone contacts and be ready to chat with us anytime. Our number is 855-CHAT-BYU. Whether you add your opinion to the morning show or ask Matt Townsend a question, we want to hear what you have to say. Again, our number is 855-CHAT-BYU. 
That's 855-242-8298. Call us. Why not get your business involved as a sponsor of Cougar Sports on BYU TV, BYU Radio, and BYUTVSports.com. For details, call 801-422-1448 or email corporate support at BYU.edu. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kim Power Stilson filling in for Matt on BYU Radio. I usually host the Talk Worthy Radio Show, but it's been fun to host this show this week. Especially today, we're talking about aging, debunking myths and stereotypes. And with us, we have Dr. Susan Kraus Whitborn. And she is, like we said, a professor of psychology at the University of Massachusetts Amherst and is a blogger. You can find her on Huffington Post. I've seen her articles in Money Magazine USA Today. And Susan, we were talking before the break a little bit about the myths and stereotype. And I was just wondering, you know, for those of us listening saying, okay, we're we're there, we're heading there, we're we're not in the prime of or flower of our youth, what what are the like positive aspects of, of aging at this time in in the history of the world? Well, there there are so many positive aspects, and but it, when you think about what you were like when you were younger, of course, we all look back on our younger days and say, "Oh, we were so happy then, and and we had all this, and we had all that." Some people think that anyway, and and in reality, people maintain their uh, high sense of well-being uh, well, well, well throughout their later years. There's a there's a kind of a quality called successful aging, and and successful cognitive aging as well that falls within that, but successful aging is being engaged with life and having reasonably good health so that you're able to get around and or at least adapt to your environment and then maintaining your mental mental uh, wits about you at least somewhat. <laughs> and so these qualities contribute to a, a successful mindset that that we can all look forward to having. And and really when you think about the many accomplishments that people um have made over their lives to be able to look back on that and say and with pride and 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 gratification there's really nothing that substitutes for that having your family having accomplished something in the world in your community in your job i mean these are all these are all reflections that can really enhance your well-being you know, I like what you're saying. I had a friend who said your 20s are for, you know, kind of you waste. Your, uh, George Bernard Shaw said, you know, youth is wasted on the young. And my friend said yeah. your 20s are kind of like you you kind of waste them. You're not you're not sure, you know, and, and you're starting things. 30s, you're building a family. 40s, you're, you're, you're building your career. And then in your 50s, you're, um, you know, planning to give back. You're making the plans to give back. But then he adjusted those years a little. So he said it's really your 70s now that you're giving mm-hmm. back. Your 60s. Sixties, you're 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 plant making your plans. Your fifties, you're in full, you know, fully into your career. Um, it just seems like people have stretched out the amount of time that they're allotting to themselves to accomplish more. That's right. That's funny. That quote, though, that you get about uh, youth is wasted on the young, it made me start thinking about the Frank Sinatra song, The Second Time Around. Oh. <laughs> so I guess he was paraphrasing. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think I would agree with you completely. It just my thing is people really focus so much on age 
that number of age, and I go back to the Satchel Page quote, is, is thinking in terms of decades in particular, we tend to put little walls between the segments of our lives, and our lives don't have those walls in reality. We make them up. We impose them upon the continuity of our life. But I, I think it's really healthy to look at yourself as and it's as a continuous evolution over the course of time. And there are trends that you look back on that you continue to build on and, and have gone up. Others maybe not so much. Others have been kind of stable. And I think if we could get out of the, the idea that age really means something about a person, we would make a lot of progress in helping people feel better about themselves. I like that. So people maybe look at aging as something that, because I know I look in the mirror and I say, oh, where did that wrinkle come from? And, you know, you know, there's, here's a gray hair. Oh, no. And I, so I think, okay, you know, the end is near, the end is near. But if we think of it more like you're saying, it's, it's just part of this evolution. And, and so therefore change is in, in, inevitable. Yes, absolutely. And, and so it, it, it just that we, for some reason, have gotten so locked into this numbers thing. Uh, maybe it's just because people just like numbers and, and they like simplification. And, and life just doesn't simplify like that. But yeah, I mean, I think looking... Okay, I think we've lost our guest, which is just unfortunate. She was making this beautiful point. So we're going to get her back on. Um, again, we were talking to Susan Krauss Whitbourne, and she's a doctor, professor of psychology at the University of Massachusetts. And we're just going to go to a brief break, and we'll be back when we get her on. Thanks for listening to the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Like BYU Radio on Facebook for updates on our shows, Cougar Sports, and more. Once you're there, you can connect with our hosts, producers, and other BYU Radio listeners. Plus, if you have any requests, suggestions, or questions, just ask us on our Facebook page. We love to hear from you. So like BYU Radio on Facebook. If it's worth talking about, you can bet Kim Power Stilson will cover it. She chats with new guests each week about a wide variety of topics. Catch Talkworthy right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. It's time to talk. And Kim Power Stilson knows just what to talk about. 10 mind, body, spirit steps to fight fatigue and feel your best. Or maybe what it's like to be a um, demolition derby driver. You could even learn what is it really like in prison and how do you survive. Kim seeks out only the most interesting people to chat with. So join us Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern for her show, Talk Worthy, right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Okay, I'm going to make a definitive statement, and I don't want any lip from any of you. There's not nearly enough bagpipes in rock and roll. <laughs> rock and roll with Through the Garage Door on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Take a look at the world through the eyes of folk artist Eric Dowdle. What do you think is an artist about that flag? It's the coolest flag. Now, it's the longest painting flag because I'll be like, oh, i got to do another minimum flag. They take a long time to paint, but it is a cool flag. Now, it's a cool, we'll explain cool. why. Well, the colors are just, they're great. Black and yellow with red and white. I mean, that's dynamic. Tune in to Traveling with Eric Dowdle weekdays at 9 p.m. Eastern here on BYU Radio. Talk about good. 
wonderful places. We have a specific spot that uh, I had something happen there or an epiphany that I want to bring up as a topic of discussion. Oh, no. Okay. Your epiphanies oh. scare me to death. <laughs> Traveling with Eric Dowdle on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Kim Power Stilson here hosting for Matt while he's on vacation. I feel like I should have, you know, watered his plants and fed his dog too, but I got to do the radio show. All right. Well, we are super excited to have Dr. Susan Kraus Whitborn back. Susan, we missed you. Oh, we missed her again. <laughs> you know, some days are just like that. There's like the technology days where you just have to say, okay, we're aging. We're talking about aging. Maybe it's like the universe saying, hey, let's talk about being young. <laughs> I love her her, her philosophy, though, Merritt. Um, that she, it's just fabulous. You don't have to accept what society or the media is telling you about yeah, aging. It, it gives me something to look forward to, I think. I mean, I am relatively very young. Yes, you so are. I have You're a lot in your to look 20s yet. To, you know, I... There's so much ahead of me. And it. she takes such a positive view on it that it's not, I, I think, especially being the age that I am, that we feel kind of scared. Like once we're going to be old, we can't do stuff anymore and we have responsibilities. But she, it just, it seems more fulfilling when she spins it the way that she does. Well, when I was your age, I didn't worry about old age, but it was like, it was off in the distance. It was kind of a fearful thing. Like, I don't, I don't want to be old. I don't want to be walking around. Well, I can um, hardly imagine it happening. That's probably the thing. It's just, it's so far removed from. But I have to say, I, I, you know, I, you don't expect it to creep up on you. And I was, I don't know, I was probably in my late twenties and I went to an eye doctor and this is. This is kind of how, uh, you know, a story about aging and, and how you think of it. And the eye doctor sat, sat me down and he said, okay, do you need reading glasses yet? And I said, why would you ask me that? I'm 28 years old. You know, I haven't had my kids yet. And he says, oh, you know, you're at the age where you need reading glasses. And I was like, right then I decided I will not need reading glasses forever. <laughs> now I'm kind of needing them now. I'm in my uh, 40s and heading, you well, know, the wrong direction. But I'm wearing reading glasses, so. We're, we're good. But the fact is that he just said to me, you know, you're at that age, right? And it made me so mad I never went back to that same doctor because I don't want someone to say, you're at the age where you should be having arthritis or you're at the age where you should stop driving. I don't want to hear that. I want to do what I'm going to do and I want to do it better. And I want a doctor to tell me. Go back to the glasses thing. I know my uh, my mom, I think, resisted, had this mental thing with getting glasses for a while because, I don't know, probably like 10 years ago, she got to the point where she like needed glasses to be able to see. And, uh, but she wouldn't, she was like, I'm not going to wear glasses cause I don't want to have like glasses on my face and look like an old woman. So she kept trying to get contacts, but then she kept going, like they would get her the contacts and she'd be like, Oh, these don't work right. And then she'd go back. Oh, these don't work right. That went on for like two years. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it was all in her head of like, she just didn't want to be that person who had to wear contacts or have to wear glasses. It was like her, right, her yeah. like fighting, like rage against the dying of the night, but it all catches up with us eventually. Well, I think you just don't realize. But if you don't, if if you look at society, you take care of your own body and your own self. And I think that would be aging gracefully. I think that Susan would agree with that. I hope that it's yeah, definitely your definition rather mm-hmm. than the media says. You know, or like my grandfather, you're 65 and you need to retire, right? So, don't listen to that. Listen to your own self. And if you're 18 and need glasses, or you're 22 um, and need a walker, well, that's you know, <laughs> or you're 75 and you can climb Mount Everest, you know, go with it. All right, you're listening to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kim Power Stilson. We will be back with more about aging after this brief break. 
take a lesson on parenting from world-traveling family coaches Richard and Linda Iyer. The key, I think, is finding the balance between avoiding that overprotectiveness but never, never being, I guess, what we could call an ostrich parent where you got your head in the sand. Ayers on the Road airs weekdays at 6.30 Eastern, only here on BYU Radio. KBYU-FM, HD2, Provo. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. White House officials acknowledge the Syrian regime has used chemical weapons, including the nerve gas sarin, against the rebel forces. With the confirmation, officials also committed to increase the scope and scale of assistance to the rebels. Human genes cannot be patented, according to a unanimous Supreme Court ruling today. The decision will keep... Important biotechnology research moving forward, according to some doctors and geneticists. In the Senate, a bipartisan immigration reform bill survived a major challenge today as an amendment to the bill was rejected that would have delayed citizenship for the 11 million undocumented immigrants currently living in the U.S. An explosion at a Louisiana chemical plant killed at least one person today and sent 73 more to the hospital. Officials concerned about dangerous fumes have ordered everyone within two miles of the blast to remain indoors. 360 homes have been destroyed as a Colorado wildfire continues to spread. Wind fueled the blaze yesterday, expanding it in several directions and forcing a town of nearly 38,000 to evacuate. The Mid-Atlantic region is bracing for a strong weather pattern, while the National Weather Service is warning it could bring flooding, large hail, and high winds. Tornadoes are also a concern. In world news, representatives of the protesting masses in Turkey met with the prime minister today in what may be an end to two weeks of violent protests. Former South African President Nelson Mandela's health is improving, but his doctors say he is still in serious condition. This is Mandela's fourth hospitalization since December. That's the news to the top of the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Kim Power Stilson here filling in for Matt while he's out of town. We have Dr. Susan Krauss Whitborn with us. We're talking about aging. Now, Susan, we played a little game of tag, which uh, yeah. shows how young we are at heart, right? Right. <laughs> little radio yeah. tag. Um, right. In fact, what, do you remember, what was your first, like, what was your favorite childhood game? Do you remember? Oh, um, probably um, Shoots and Ladders. <laughs> oh, I love that game. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, sorry. No, sorry was definitely my favorite. Yes. It had that nice little twinge of sadism to it. And And it was simple. So, yeah, I I would have to say sorry. Well, (laughs) I I did advance beyond that. Yeah, I I actually would play that again. I think that would be fun. Now now that you said it, I think I'm going to get the sorry. Maybe we can play virtually on a Google Hangout, right? (laughs) Right. Show our grandparents how it's done. So um, I want to talk about, you know, aging successfully now. I mean, you, is it possible? I'm heading into those years. What advice can you give me and the listeners uh, so that we can do it with a little bit of uh, fun and not be sorry? Right. Uh, Good one. Well, I think, you know, we've talked about mental exercise and we haven't really talked about physical exercise yet. So I think it's time to get real and talk about that. 
because it's absolutely crucial for people to exercise um, your body. I mean, it's just there, if you're going to keep that uh, mortal coil from coiling up, it, it has to be given a lot of uh, extra mileage in whatever way you can. I mean, not everybody can go on, on a jog or a run, nor should they necessarily, but everybody can do something. And I really do feel that uh, this, um, this is just a way not only to build your body um, and your cognitive abilities, but also your feelings of, uh, of, of happiness and satisfaction. There's lots and lots of studies showing that exercise for people of any age can have beneficial psychological effects. So um, that, I, I think that's my, that's my key piece of advice. And the good thing about exercise is you can exercise on your own, but you can also do it in a social situation. If you like to be around other people, joining an exercise class, it could be anything from gentle yoga to something more intense, like a crazy step class, which I happen to go to one still. <laughs> um, it gets pretty pretty wild. But but whatever it is you can do, even if it's sitting in a chair and doing chair aerobics, something to, to just move your metabolism a little bit, and it'll pick up your peace of mind. I love that you're saying this. My, my grandmom, she had a bike with a basket. And she moved to a retirement village, and she would just storm through the sidewalks of this retirement village. And I don't know. I think she was like 85, and she would run people over, and people would file complaints against her for going too fast, you know. But I thought she kept really young. I mean, that was something that kept her moving when she could no longer drive. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, actually, that's funny, though. If she couldn't drive, but she could ride a bike. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great example. And she still got tickets, um, which was the reason she stopped driving the car. So I don't know if you should yeah, just let her. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. But but I think people who age successfully do uh, just that. just that. And one thing maybe you can't do anymore, and you pick up and you find something else that you can. And so you kind of, you don't have to feel like I have to do everything well, or I have to do all these activities. You pick what you're good at and you you put all your energy into that. Well, maybe leave a little bit for something that you're not good at just so you can have goals to motivate you and, and something is an incentive. You know, but it's kind of stripping away the less important and focusing on the more important. Okay, so I like that because you, I, I see here in the notes it talks about you know these transition of retirement and kids leaving home kind of leaves a void. And I know mm-hmm. I, I don't mean to, this to be a, a brag session about my grandma, but she she uh, translated bra- books into Braille. She started doing ceramics classes. Classes. She became a pastor for her church. All of that after she was seventy, and she lived until t- she was wow. ninety two. And we were like, wow. I mean, what would you have yeah. done if you didn't have seven kids? But there was a transition time when the seven kids left and my grandfather died where she, she didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she came into her own. Finally, yeah. finally. And I was finally. wondering about that transition yeah. time. Do you, is that a tough time for people? Those transitions are tough. Well, uh, many of them are tough. Not so much the children leaving home. There's an, a, a lot that's made about that, the so-called empty nest. And in reality... Uh, people now, certainly now, if ever was true, but but now more than ever, are not negatively affected by the children leaving home. I mean, the joke is they're negatively affected the opposite way when the kids move back in, but even that's not completely true, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the boomerang kids. It, but it's... but. Pe- 
parents and and their adult children just have a different kind of relationship, and it can be just as gratifying. And of course, it gets even better when the grandchildren come along. <laughs> but but the those transitions can be looked at as an opportunity for growth and renewal. And that's, I think, really how we want to look at them as opportunities and and not as um, losses. So in other words, you have more time to do more rather than you have lost value. Exactly, exactly. And how do you how do you fight against society? I, I mean, kids, kids can be so disrespectful. Um, and, I, and I actually don't know any who are, but I do have a friend who said that, you know, she works at a big company. She's worked there for, for 30 years, and the new kids coming in are so disrespectful and so discrediting that she's, she went from looking vibrant and, and having this great career as a, um, a chief financial officer to now she's feeling little and, and she's just not you know, bouncing back from these, this mm. generation that seems to be demeaning her. That is very rough. Well, I think that uh, our relations with the younger generation, I mean, they can go in all sorts of directions, but people very often do feel threatened by them, and it starts to create its own little dynamic. And and I think if you can reach out to even a kid who's being disrespectful and try to figure out what's going on with that kid, because I don't think they want to be, and I don't think they feel good about themselves either. And sometimes they're kind of bullied into it by their peers, and it's just like the socially cool thing to do. But if you can talk to a kid who's bothering you like that, especially one-on-one, um, and try to have a, an exchange of, uh, of feelings, I think you could feel a little more heartened about the younger generation and get some of these misunderstandings, um, at least start to work on them. And, and maybe I think, too, learning, and tell me if you agree, learning to do some of the things that that generation's interested in. I know I, 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 I took my, I, my kids were teasing me, so I learned how to use an, an iPod, right, mm-hmm, so that they would mm-hmm. quit teasing me. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right. Just just uh, meet them on their own territory, and they, they don't know quite what to do with it. But but what they, I think, a lot of them like is kind of you. You've been teaching your kids all their lives, and now they get a chance to teach you something. And so it really shows how family relationships are a two or even a three way street, and you go across the generations. Well, I love that. And how would you, what would you suggest for the younger generations listening? How would you suggest they help the older generations age more gracefully? Yeah, well, I think that be really aware of your stereotypes and really ask yourself how you feel about aging. Well, a lot of times people are just scared about aging, and that's one of the reasons we feel the way we do, where nobody likes to think about getting, you know, dying, and older people remind us that, that you know, at some point life comes to an end. So try to understand where your feelings are coming from and, and, and really um, try to put yourself in their position. I mean, do a little time travel in your mind and see what are you going to be like when you're older and wouldn't you want a young person to be sympathetic to you. So, so I think some of that empathy could really help to help younger adults or young people be more, um, you know, more, more kind of positive and understanding. I, I said empathic, and I, but I really do mean empathic, really seeing how they see the world and seeing yourself as you might see yourself someday. You know, I like that. I we were we're going to talk more about this on the show today, but 
maybe you could give your advice on this too. My, uh, again, my grandmother, not to belabor, but she didn't know how to use the microwave and her kids were making fun of her. So she came over and asked me if I could teach her how to use a microwave, which was a relatively new technology when I was a kid. Uh And so I got to teach her how to turn blocks of cheese into bubbling masses in seconds. And, uh-huh. and she was amazed by that and, and, you know, walked out a little more confident, you know, as I'm looking back now, you know, having patience with teaching people new technologies, I think is, would be great advice. I think so too. Yeah. Um, and, and the new technologies really are a basis for uh, generations to get together. Um, and the only problem, I mean, sometimes I think that, that what older people get infuriated with is the instructions on these things tend to be a little vague sometimes and, you know, just really difficult to figure out and they leave out steps or they make assumptions and or they don't even print out manuals anymore. You get a new printer and the only way you can see the manual is if you print it. But you, <laughs> but you have to have a printer. <laughs> so, so I That's think so there's a, I think younger people uh, maybe didn't grow up with manuals and so they're willing to make more um, leaps of faith and, and I think people are used to manuals just say, well, I don't see the step in here. So you just have to be willing to play with it and, well, not blow anything up with the microwave, but <laughs> make some mistakes and, and not worry. I mean, I think if you start to worry and doubt yourself, it's probably going to undercut your abilities to get along with the new technology and or whatever it is you're trying to do. Well, I, I think we have to realize, right, that things change. So regardless of how old you are, Technology is changing. I mean, the microwave was a big new thing then. We had before that we had telephones, and we were just laughing. There's hair dryers. I mean, technology things change, and you have to. Everyone has to learn how to use it. And they do, and and if you can appreciate the kind of the fun parts of it, like the iPad, um, that's uh, there's so many ways that people can really enjoy those. And once you break through, I think that initial um, kind of threshold that you have to get across of willing to to sort of suspend reality a little bit and, and, and play to make something work, you can start to build on those skills and also on your self-confidence because a lot of it is doubting yourself and fear. And you say, oh, I can do that. Okay, well, now I'll try this next thing. But don't try to do it all at once and, and try to be careful not to set yourself up for failure because that will only just undercut your own efforts. So, Susan, I, I love this is all great advice, and I wish I'd heard you when I was younger. I might have done a better job of it. Oh, no. I hope my kids are listening also. What, what's your goal? What's your mission? I mean, we, all have, we have about a couple minutes left. What would you like to see happen in this realm? My mission is to educate people about aging and not feeling it's something to be dreaded. My whole life I have spent really on this theme of, of really trying to have people understand where their feelings about aging are coming from, and you don't have to be a victim of negative stereotypes, the worst ones in your head, um, and, and the stereotypes that other people impose on you. So that really is my mission. And, and to also, as I've gone on in my career and done more of the blog writing, I really tried to educate people how to read the information that you get uh, through all the media, because there's a lot of bad stuff there, uh, stereotypes and hype about Alzheimer's, you know, you're getting Alzheimer's just because you have a little memory lapse. People need to learn to, to just 
read and look at different sources and make informed decisions. So that's really the second part of my mission is educating people how to learn what you need to learn. Now, where can we find you? I mean, can you tell us the resources? You're everywhere. So do they just put your name in or what would you suggest? Oh, well, I mean, if you Google me, um, my full name, um, if, if they just Go site today, Whitbourne. Um, any spelling of that will probably um, I'll pop up. Fulfillment at any age. And then, of course, I'm at UMass, University of Massachusetts Amherst, and I have a website there. So it's, uh, you know, a little bit of Googling. My name is, uh, there's another Susan Whitbourne who's a, a family member, but um, you'll be able to tell the difference, I think. <laughs> She's a, a young uh, up-and-coming actress in New York City, so wow. uh, not me. <laughs> we'll look for the knitting. We'll be like, we want the lady who knits, <laughs> who's knitted her entire life. Her grandma taught her, and she's really nice to old people, and oh. that's including all of us. I, I love the idea that, you know, we are all aging, so really it's not it's not old you know we're not we can't be old we're just aging that's right and well and we are the people that we were our whole lives too um a sense of you don't change because your age changes i mean you just you said it i look in the mirror i'm the same person i always was i just look different yeah you are the same person you always were maybe better probably better and and that's really, a, I think, a great way to think about it. Don't look at those gray hairs or whatever uh, you don't want to look at. Look at uh, the person behind all that and, the, you know, the, the, the inside the person's, um, the, uh, what's going on behind the eyes rather than around them. I love that. What's going on behind the eyes rather than um, what's around them. And that is a quote from Dr. Susan Krauss Whitborn, PhD. I love that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write that on Facebook. I'm going to like you okay. on Facebook, too, because I want to learn how to knit. Great. <laughs> might as well, right? I haven't done it yet, so I might as well complete the look. Maybe I'll get a bun, too, and then just uh, change all those stereotypes. <laughs> we'll start that for the 40s. Well, thank yeah, you so, so much for being on our show. Oh, thank you, Kim. It's been really lovely talking to you. And thank you so much for all your work and your mission. And, and I think you've probably got some new followers to help you out here. Um, oh. It's been such great information. Great. Thank you so much, Kim. All right. Thank you. That was Dr. Susan Krauss Whitborn, And you can find her on Psychology Today. And her work is The Search for Fulfillment. You can also find her on Huffington Post. She is one of the Post 50 bloggers. And she's won several awards. She's from Amherst. And also you can write her about her knitting. Thank you so much uh, for being uh, listening to the Matt Townsend Show. We do have one more segment after this uh, break. We'll be uh, back with more of the Matt Townsend Show. And thanks again to Susan Krauss Whitborn. Just about every time you fly on a commercial jetliner, when you look out the window, you'll see a particular NASA innovation. Can you guess what it is? This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. It's the turned-up wingtip called a winglet. Ever since the late 1970s, they've been appearing on the tips of airplane wings, and they serve a special purpose, other than just looking cool. NASA researcher Richard Whitcomb was the modern father of the winglet as it is known today. He developed it to solve a specific aerodynamic problem. Air coming off the tips of a wing creates a swirling motion, what we call a vortex. These vortices create parasitic drag on the wing, as if the wing were much longer than it really is. Whitcomb showed that you could trick the vortices into not forming, or into detaching from the wing and reducing drag using the winglet. 
NASA's extensive testing on modified jets proved Whitcomb's theories correct, and soon every plane manufacturer was using winglets to reduce drag on airliner wings. That reduction creates a significant improvement in gas mileage as well. In 2010, they saved airlines over 2 billion gallons of jet fuel and are expected to save over 5 billion gallons by next year. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Kim Power Stilson filling in for Matt, and we are talking about aging, and we've had Susan, Dr. Susan Krauss Whitborn on. Amazing. Now, when's the last technology that you could remember? The last time that you, there was a technology that may be the newest technology in your life, newest and oldest. I'm just curious about you guys. Do you mean like the earliest technology I can yeah. remember? Yeah, what's the newest, earliest new technology? And has that changed? I can remember when my parents first got cell phones, and they got those ones that were in the bag. Do you remember those, the bag phones? No. No, you never had those? They're, they were like a, a, like a nylon bag, and it had this big thing in it, and then there was the huge handset that you pulled out, and the numbers, the dial, were on the back of the handset. Oh, my goodness. I remember the car phone. Didn't the car phone come before... Yeah. yeah, the mobile yeah, phone. Yeah, it was. It was like that. It was all integrated into the thing, and it okay. was in a bag. See, I remember. I remember having my father's car phone. He said, "Do not use it because it's like two dollars a minute or whatever." And so I, I stopped the car, stopped, and went into Nordstrom and waited in line for the payphone. And then, like a couple years later, I walked into Nordstrom, pulled out my cell phone while people were waiting in line for the payphone, and I had a cell phone before most people didn't. Everyone was like, oh, that's so cool. You got a bunch of new friends. Yeah, I did. (laughs) They're like, okay, can we give you the quarter and we can make the call? And I'm like, "Uh, no, this is a dollar a minute. Then it was a dollar a minute. It was very expensive. It's it's still pretty expensive. Not for minutes, just in general. Yeah, for all the other stuff. Yeah, I can also remember uh, we had the the black and white Apple computer in like the late '80s, early '90s. The screen was black and white. Yeah, and then when we finally got the first one that had like a color monitor, that was a big deal. The color Apple, I remember. Yeah. My roommate was so excited. Um, okay, so what about even further back? We've got some um, some technology, little pictures of some technology brought in by Don that people may not remember. Anybody remember the mimeograph? Ditto paper. I don't even know what that is. Okay, none of you guys. So we would attach this paper with ink on it, and you would write your little flyer, and then you would attach it into this machine by its little prongs, and you would roll it, hand roll it through. So if you wanted 50 dittos, you would have to do 50, um, you know. Rotations. Rotations. There we go. That's what I'm looking for. That was invented by Gutenberg, right? <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably one of his kids. And so then, you know, then probably, do you guys remember fax machines? Were those part of Yes. The- yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was kind of a big thing that technology-wise. I remember being blown away that I could make a call from the fax machine and put papers into it and get papers from people from all over the place. It blew my mind. What about when the internet finally got to the point where you could it was not on your phone line? And oh, remember, it was that was the worst if it was like, oh, there's a fax coming, so don't get on the phone, or don't get on the phone because I've got to check my email. Like DSL because, was a big deal. Like, yeah, if you got on the phone yeah. while the internet was on. It would kick you off the internet. And did you know? Which is the worst feeling. Did you know that some computers, if, if it was hooked up to the phone line for the internet, if someone was on the phone and you had your computer on, 
the phone line would come through the speakers. That's right. And so sometimes I would get on there and I would turn up the speakers really loud and listen to my sister when she was talking to people. <laughs> because Clever, clever mischief. boy. It happened just on like I was like, oh, I'm going to get on the internet and I'm going to go do stuff. And then I turned and I was like, hey, wait a minute. And I just kept turning it up until she heard it. <laughs> okay, we had, speaking of phone, we had party lines. So when I was very, very little, some neighborhoods, you had party lines. So you have to wait for your turn. So if you had like a, a, a short ring and a quick ring, it meant that the party line was for your neighbor. The call was for your neighbor versus you. If it was two long rings, it was for you. There's an old movie from like the 40s or 50s, and maybe someone else has seen it, that I remember watching one like afternoon. My mom was watching this old movie on TV. I think it had like Rock Hudson and maybe Grace Kelly or something yes. like that, where they Doris have a party. Day. Doris Day. They have, yeah. a, they have a party line, and yes. so she'll pick up the phone, and he's on the phone, and so she listens in on his conversations and vice versa, and they fall in love without ever having met. Anyway, I remember having to like get this detailed explanation from my mom for – why can't they? Why don't they just have their own lines? I don't understand why every time they pick up the phone, the other person's on the line. And it was because there was like one line for the whole apartment building or whatever. Well, it's so sad that all of that's archaic now. Do you know? I mean, like even we're looking at a picture of the washing machine. It's an agitator base, and the woman's adding the water and then wringing the clothes through the ringer. I mean, that's those people put a lot of money into paying for those and finally getting one of those, and then boom, there's a new technology every few years that. It you know things get better. So now laundry machines are are awesome, but there's some inventions, some technology that do not change, like I like we were saying, like the toaster. Yeah, the toast. I think like the toaster has, it's it's hit its elegance. Like, <laughs> what do they need to do with it? We they perfected keep, it. Yeah, like I've seen things where they're trying to do other. Well, you stuff get bagel sized toasters. Yeah, but, but features I still, not. Like at, at my, in my apartment, I have just a very basic toaster. You just put it on and you press it down and it toasts. And when you're yep. ready, you pop it up. I mean, it is the most basic, probably $15 toaster at your local store, whatever. And my parents have one that's like really fancy and it's like got six slots and it has like timers and different levels of stuff or whatever. And it is so much worse than my toaster where I just pop stuff in and pop like I, I all that, all, all those other bells and whistles are totally unnecessary for a device like that. See, like I just wonder why, you know, phones have changed like, like crazy. Uh, another one is the hairdryer, right? Yeah. I mean, there was a point where you had the big uh, metal hoods over your Dome. head. Dome. I was scared. I remember as a kid, I was like, I'm not going in there. <laughs> and so I didn't. But then, It was like you were going to outer space every time you used the hairdryer. Yeah. And then they had these tubes, these plastic tubes with a little cap that you plugged in that blew hot air over into the cap, which were less scary. Do you remember those? I think I do. It like inflated it? Yes. Yes. My brothers would chase me like they were like a snake or uh, I'd try to capture uh-huh. me with them. My mom, we broke all of those. And then now they have the regular blow dryer, which has been the same for, I don't know, like 40 years probably. Yeah. It's the same, you know, different sizes, <laughs> the, different prices. The hair dryer gun thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like you wonder why they have all these advances in technology. Are people like, okay, we're done with that? Well, it just you iterate until you perfect something and at a certain point. There's nothing else you can do to to make it any better. I mean, so no it complaints. is what it is. It, it's per, it's perfect uh, fusion of form and function. But you could still drop it in the tub and get electrocuted. I think that's a major. Like my kids are always <laughs> leaving the it plugged in. I think they should do something about that. I don't think it's really perfected yet. That is we we hit function now safety. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's figure that part. Were they out. too busy working on what? Because no one's like, doing the rockets anymore. What's so more what are they important, on? Bryce? Your hair looking great or your kids' safety? <laughs> 
or just a little extra shock? What is worse? <laughs> I don't know. You'd rather be a little shocked than have a bad hair day. Well, and, and with, there's another picture here of the telephone. It's stuffed full of people. I remember that my grandmother would talk about people jumping in to see how many people they could fit into a telephone booth. And I only see telephone booths in Europe now. Yeah, I haven't seen a telephone booth probably outside from the ones in London. I don't know the last time I've seen a telephone booth. And they just keep those there because they're a tourist trap. They're a photo opportunity. Yeah, that's what we do no when one we uses see them. one. Yeah. I mean, and then now you can't, my cell phone died. We were in, I was in Gatwick. I was, we had a, a rainstorm in London and I couldn't find a, a phone. My cell phone died. I couldn't find a plug-in or a payphone. What do you do then? I mean, that's a problem. Abandon hope. Ask right? someone. <laughs> the, power, the power goes out, right? And then Abandoned what do you do? Ship. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, what are we going to do if the power goes out for a couple of days, right? No internet, no phone. We're going to walk around lost. Well, I mean, you saw that during uh, after Hurricane Sandy in New York when everyone lost power for days on end. People were anyone who had a power would like run a line out into their yard with a power strip so people could come charge their phones because everyone was dying without their phones. Well, and and that's kind of uh, uh, Aaron's got a point actually. With the phone thing, I miss how the flip phones could last for like two months. Okay, that's yes. exaggerating, but like you know, like they a could. week or two. And now my iPhone, if I have three G internet on, it's dead. By the end a couple of the hours, afternoon. yeah. Yeah, I can't so, make it more than like, I mean, on a light day of use, like maybe 15 hours. And, and, and if that's, it's 4G, it's yeah. even like yeah. the internet's just, you know, it saps the battery. So, so these technologies have increased our speed and our access. We can reach people all over the world, right? And yet these agitators like this old washing machine and dryer, you didn't need electricity. So you could still use it if there weren't any power. So it's almost like, did they forget, you know, <laughs> they advanced us? To- we've, we've innovated so much we've forgotten Practic or practicality, right? I agree. I, I just think that's interesting to note. And um, so I, I, I kind of thought, you know, aging wise, I remember how to do things on my own, like wash my own clothes, like in a stream, use the rocks. You know, I think you should teach your kids oh, how to do pioneer? that. Pioneer, yeah. <laughs> wash your clothes in the stream. I know, girls camp. <laughs> I liked it. Well, and here's this gals. These pictures of these gals putting their cakes out on the windowsill. Like, whoever even makes a cake? There are anymore? bugs out there. Who would do yeah. that? I just go to Dairy Queen and buy a cake. I don't need to make one. Right, bakeries were not needed. Right then because people made their own baked goods, their own bread. And now we go to the store and the store, the power goes out and the store closes and people don't know how to make bread. I'm just saying that. Okay. We have a, a we have a viewfinder. Viewmaster. Viewmaster. The, you know, you'd, you'd, I, we had these when I was a kid too. So they're not that old where you could kind of see images from all kinds of foreign places just by looking through a pair of binoculars. Mount Rushmore. Yes. That's what it always is. And so you, you stick, you insert the little disc, which had the little pasted pictures in their tiny thumb size. Yeah. Stick them in and you can watch a Viewmaster. We had to look at a light. We'd yeah, always get the ones light, that yes. were from like movies, like from Disney movies, from like a cartoon. They would be still Lady from the like Tramp. a cartoon. Yeah, exactly. My favorite Viewmaster. I, that I yeah. stole that one and hid it in my book. Yeah. Found it a couple years ago. <laughs> still intact and preserved, but can't find a Viewmaster. All right. Well, that's, obviously I'm a little older than you, but we're all going to age and it was fun to know how to do it successfully. Listening to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you so much for listening today on Aging and Dr. Susan Krause Whitbourne. And thanks to the Matt Townsend team. I'm Kim Power Stilson, and have a great day. I think that we need to draw these connections every single day. Get your day started off on the right foot. The Morning Show with Marcus Smith. Weekdays on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Talk about good.